I'm in the book of Amos today, chapter 2. Before you read, I'd like to just submit that I am here by the appointment of the Holy Spirit. Tammy and I came here by the calling of God. We were called here. This was not a job opportunity for us. It was not a it was not a moment to settle down and have a family. That was not the intent. I was considering this moment some time ago when the Lord prompted me to read again the book of Amos this morning when I woke up I went to my office downstairs and I read the book of Amos again today and at the end of it all I realized once more that I'm only able to preach the word by the anointing of the Holy Spirit and also by permission of the hearer and the congregation so while I know that the anointing is on me I must still have your permission to preach Every preacher of the word needs the anointing of the Lord and they also need the anointing of the people because this is not a cold transaction. It's a spiritual moment. So I don't ask this to provoke you to uh, a verbal response, but I ask it uh, in sincerity from a heartfelt thought. I ask if I can preach today. It's not for applause, but it is for permission. So when I ask you if I could preach, it's not because I, I need you to clap. If I need you to clap, I'm just going to say, will you clap, please? <laughs> That's a good moment to clap. <laughs> but I, I, I think every preacher, pastor, minister, evangelist, speaker, needs those anointings of God and the people. Amen. So I'm hoping I have that today. Amos chapter 2, and I just want to read just three verses in your hearing before we're seated. I'm, I'm in stride. We're reading in stride of the voice of the prophet from the unction of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is speaking through him. He's writing. And this is in stride God is speaking through him. And God is saying, Also, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up of your sons for prophets and of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not even thus O children of Israel, saith the Lord. Didn't I do that? Here's the final verse. But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink. and command the prophet saying, prophesy not. And I preach today, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I didn't make up that title I just lifted it from the prophet Joel and 700 years later Peter prophesied and spoke 
and quoted Joel, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Amen. And everyone said in Jesus' name, I thank you for standing and you may be seated. And when you get there, put your Bibles down and clap your hands unto the Lord with me and we'll rejoice together. somebody shout out a great praise to our God because he's a good God and the word is holy and we've got to have the presence of the most high yes I'm going to try to behave myself for a moment and make a flimsy promise here consider with me the study of rivers a river, there are people devoted to such things. Not just water, but specifically rivers. It's called potomology. From that field of study comes a handful of particular principles that are without variant. Which means that they are, in essence, proofs. Pay particular attention now. They cannot change. They are a proof. They're without variant. Potomology reveals settled facts. Things that attend to the study of rivers. There are multiple principles of this study. I'll give you one staple. There are others. The energy of the river comes from the integrity of its banks. It is the limiting and the limited passageways which are able to produce the rush, the power. It is her narrow margins which create that flow, rushing water. But if those boundaries are removed and the banks of the river disappear, then there is chaos, flooding, unpredictable flows, and very little force. If the banks are weak and then breached, the water runs amiss and consequently, once inhabitable places land becomes a stagnant, swamp. Houses are flooded. Businesses are ruined. Streets are impassable. Because the cascading waters are now aimless and flow without designation, there is displacement of both man and creature. Without the fullness of the bank, the limit, there is no energy. Only the banks, the boundaries, give predictability and strength. And this principle is without variant. It will not change. It is a settled truth. And if we can expand our minds for a moment, then it should be known that this particular truth is transferable to all life. It's transferable to marriage, the boundaries, to relationships, the borders, nation states, and their sovereignty. 
There are, there are no nations without borders. There is no sovereignty without a boundary. But most of all, it matters to God and to holiness. Yes. And in a better defined moment, the prophet Amos addresses that matter in his own unique way. I can barely get past the Old Testament prophets when I pause at the book of Amos. His life will be rearranged in order to send a message to Israel which has now become a boundaryless people. Amos encounters a people which have devolved into a carnal mindset. They have distorted their own moral code and God has called Amos from the field to prophesy to the city. Notwithstanding, this prophet will offer hope, of the which I rest my confidence. There are judgments that he sees coming. It was Amos who painted the portrait of a desperate and enduring shepherd. I love it. I love him for that depiction. He displayed the heart of the great shepherd. And that image should be embraced by every under-shepherd and leader. And yes, Amos will famously write the words, Seek ye, and ye shall live. It was God's appointed word of restoration for the land of Israel. However, in the aggregate of his self-titled book, Amos will also pull back the curtains on Israel's very sinful existence. There was a reason for his calling. There was a reason why God moved him out of the field and brought him into the city. The stagnation of their spiritual state had infected their homes and indeed their families. They had become a people without a moral border. Look at Amos. He is a shepherd. That was his occupation. He's given to tending sheep, but also to the sycamore fig trees lining the Judean courtside. He was not designed for such a thing when God called him, but God needed a voice, a man, a witness who was not afraid to speak to the people, and indeed Amos was not. God uses people where they are, so don't ever think that you are not equipped. He uses people just like you to do his most profound and enduring work. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you are equipped. Don't belittle the Holy Ghost by saying that you cannot. No one is born with authority and power in the Spirit. That's endued from on high. The kingdom is filled with teachers and preachers and soul winners who never felt qualified. And without the Spirit, they are not qualified. But you are qualified. And you can say to me, well, Pastor, I really don't know if I can do that. Yes, you can, because the Lord is inside of you. Amos will use striking metaphors taken from his life's profession to describe the state of God's people. A loaded cart. A roaring lion. Wounded sheep. A basket of fruit. All of it coming from the common things around him. I will not venture from the word here today only to say that Amos was not fully equipped like so many of those who are called to speak. His limited life experiences, however, is not without depth. 
And even though the prophetic message was given in his day, his words, which he wrote, reach right into this place today at this very hour where we live. Amos has a vision of God's judgment. He sees it falling upon Aram and then upon other heathen cities and nations such as Philistia, Tyra, Edom, Ammon, and Moab. All of it is reasonable. Of course, God would judge those cities and nations harshly. They were wicked and often ruthless. Amos sees the judgment coming and he says as much. And this word that he said was acceptable to Israel until this shepherd turned prophet reached into their comfortable setting and prophesied against them. They were fine with judgment against their enemies. They never saw it come in their way. That thin veneer of religious practices could not hide their debauchery. They were acting as if they worshipped God alone, but in truth they were worshipping false idols, committed gross sin, and they were oppressing the poor. Read it in your Bible. And from the south comes this man who looks and speaks like a shepherd, clothed in the attire fit for a man of the field, yet in his mouth is a message so powerful and moving that the world will pause to hear the sound. They listen because it began with God's rebuke for the vileness of the sinners, and that was easy listening. <laughs> for the church, God's rebuke against sinners, that's like elevator music. No one is bothered to hear how worldly the world is. A thousand sermons over have boasted about the sinfulness of sinners. In fact, uh, it's a lazy preacher who preaches about sinners sinning. That's just what they do. They're good at it. I'd like the church to be good at being the church. In fact, if the church was as good at being the church as the world is being worldly. I'm here by permission. When you give up permission, you'll let me know. I'm certain of it. It's just by permission. The real challenge is preaching to the people called out. That's what gets pulpits in trouble. Pastors have been fired for it. People vote with their feet. Or they'll hire someone to skirt the issue so they can go out and eat at the restaurant after church without dealing with the word of conviction on Sunday morning. Nobody wants that. All the food tastes bad when you have the aftertaste of conviction in your mouth. The prophet who rebukes the evil of another is always welcomed by members of his own tribe. But the moment that Amos looked at Israel in the eye, they recoiled in rebellion. Little did they know that they were facing certain defeat by the Assyrians. The Assyrians are on their way to conquer those northern backslidden Israelites and they are oblivious to it. And because they don't know that there is a price to pay for what they are doing, they will turn away from that shepherd prophet Amos. His sermon would be tossed aside for the sake of their illicit lifestyle. His message will lay on the heap of forgotten words while the enemy is preparing to slaughter them with a sword and imprison them and bind them with ropes and chains. And even though the people have rebuffed Amos, he is yet undeterred by their rejection. He says, and I quote, let judgment run down as waters, let righteousness run as a mighty stream. 
Amos has a word set in the boundaries of holiness. It is a mighty stream, he says. There is a power in it because it moves within the righteous limitations of God's design. In our vernacular, this is what Amos said. You can reject me. You can discard my preaching. You can pigeonhole my ministry. You can shrug me off like a wannabe preacher in farmer's attire. But judgment is running like water down a mountain and righteousness is rushing like a mighty stream and you'll never be able to stop it. The only thing you know, this is what he said. The only thing you know how to do is remove the banks, but it's flooding your life and your families and it's destroying your future. It's not just idols. It's not just that they loved wealth and bound the poor. It's not just because they removed the storyline of Canaan and Egypt from their lips, all of which were tragic in the, of themselves. But they did more serious damage that was not undone Yes, they perpetuated their own philosophies. And yes, they loved their riches. Gain was their cause. As the law became their adversary. But God said that two critical things happened first. Two things pushed them into this abyss of spiritual darkness and rebellion. Those northern Israelites cast shade of gray on everything that was holy. They promoted the lie that consecration and separation were unnecessary and God counted them as sins against his word. Go find out how God deals with people who love the lie. Who know the truth but then change it. Paul told the church of Thessalonica that the unrighteous are going to perish. Paul said, don't be easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have a spiritual vision or revelation or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say. Paul said, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. Who is Paul addressing as being in rebellion? He's addressing those who knew the truth but rejected the truth. Who is rebelling here that Paul's talking about? It's those who are called out of darkness into this light, but then return to the same darkness from which they came. Paul said of them, they're going to perish, Second Thessalonians 2, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Are you ready for it? And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. They didn't love it. He said to Timothy that some of them will have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Just get away from those people. Amos is rising from the hills of Judah to denounce God's own people. He's armed with a vision and whatever measure of boldness it took to speak such things to a backslidden congregation. God said, this is what God said, I brought you up out of Egypt. I led you 40 years through all those meager times. I carried you through the wilderness when you had nothing but what I provided for you. You had no food but what I gave you. You had no drink, but I caused the rock to follow you. And I caused the flint rock to open up in water enough to quench the parched ground and the thirst of every person. God said, I caused you to have victory over the Amorite, whose height was like the height of cedars. He was strong like an oak, and yet I destroyed the fruit from above and his roots from beneath. I just wiped them out. God said, you didn't make him to the land of plenty on your own, but I brought you here and I set you up and I conquered your enemies on your behalf, all of which would have devoured you where you stood because you were weak and unskilled and armed but defenseless, but I did that for you. But now you've come into this land. It is the land of promise. Everyone say promise. 
when you get the promise. The life is not over when you get the promise. Peter said, this is the promise of the Father. The Holy Ghost is the promise of the Father. But when you get the promise, doesn't mean life is over. You saw me. God said, you saw me raise up prophets. I commissioned your young men to be prophets and your young people to be Nazarites unto me. I gave you prophets for preaching and Nazarites for leading. I gave the sign of the preaching prophet, which was the word of conviction and the word of direction. And I gave you a shepherd separated youth to be an example. Consecrated and dedicated young men and young women who would denounce the strong drink, who would reject wine and worldly rejections and riotous living and boundaries of life. Here's what he said in verse 11. Is it not even thus, O children of Israel? Can anyone argue with what I've done? Is there any debate? No debate. God did all of that. God brought us out. God set us up. There's no victories in this house without God. There's no conquering. You have no testimony without God. Don't give credit to the doctor. Even if the doctor gave you the right medicine and did the right surgery, it was God that gave that doctor the insight. And thank God for the Lord's insight. If you got a couple bucks in your pocket or you're driving a car or you're in a home or you got up today and had a cup of coffee or anything to eat, if you're planning on going anywhere today, it was the Lord that did that. You had no victory without God. You had no hope without God. He brought you out. I think we got to be very careful before we start patting ourselves on the back and say, look what we've done. You've done nothing. You've done nothing. Only by the grace and mercy of God, you got anything. You didn't even know anything without the Lord. And just for the record, we don't teach anyone how to receive the Holy Ghost here. We'll show you the pathway of worship. First, you repent of your sins because he's not going to put new wine in an old wine bottle. So you repent, you cleanse your life, and you confess that Jesus is Lord, and you repent, and you give God glory, and you accept him, and then you raise your hands, and then you pray, and you worship him, and he fills you with the Holy Ghost. Nobody here fills anybody with the Holy Ghost. And if you have a talent, God gave you the talent. And the talent doesn't have to be musical. It could be that you are a phenomenal cook. Come on, start cooking. It could be that you are good at a skill. Do it for the kingdom's sake. Don't act like the only people that are talented are on the drums, a keyboard, and a microphone. This whole church is full of talents, and God gave it to you for the kingdom. Not so you could wax bold and have a nice retirement. Help me. God did that. God brought you out. Now, now be careful, ladies and gentlemen. You didn't come out unscathed. Some of you are sitting with loss and scars and pain and memories and issues. Some of you are sitting here with a lot of trouble in your past and you got a closet full of skeletons and you don't want anyone to open that thing up. Of course, if you 
if you took a picture of it and you posted it, that was dumb. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't have permission for that one. But. Yeah, some of us are in here because we had to go through a lot of issues and problems. And it's all right. It's the church. You're covered by the blood. You're in a safe place. The world will remind you and the devil will remind you. But if you get to the... If you get to the throne of grace and you start to go back and say, Lord, you remember what I've done. The Lord will flip through the pages of your life and say, well, I see the time and I see the date. But all I see are great drops of blood that stain the pages of your life. He brought you out of the miry clay. He brought you out of a world. He brought you out of sin and he put you here. Yes, he did. Oh, Oh, yes, he did. Come on, somebody say, oh, yes, he did. Oh, yes, he did. Hey. Two things preceded their idol worship and their material gain. Two things, two troubling things. It was a distortion of the Nazarites and the prophets. It was a mismanagement and even greater of dedicated lives and preaching witnesses. God said, I gave you prophets and I gave your young to Nazarites to be separate, but you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and you commanded the prophets saying, prophesy not. Before anyone draws their conclusion about the Nazarites being only men, you have to go to Numbers chapter 6, which clearly states that a Nazarite is a man or a woman, a young man or a young woman. A Nazarite could be either. It wasn't just for the men. The young women could also be devoted to that vow. And of the many things that they might do to maintain their vow of separation, verse 4, all the days of their separation... Of the many things they might do, Numbers 6 and 8 encapsulates their life and their mission when it states all the days of his or her separation, they will be holy unto the Lord. God said, I gave you prophets and I gave your young to be Nazarites, dedicated and separated, but you gave them wine and you told them don't speak, don't prophesy, don't preach. And for our sake today, the prophet was not just a fourth teller and a foreteller. They were not just predicting futures. They were preaching. Sometimes they were proclaiming the already established principles. Sometimes with words of guidance. Other times to relay the already established law of Moses. They didn't work for the applause of the people or the crowd. They didn't bend to the demands of the majority. The prophet brought with him a spirit of conviction to redirect God's people. Not of his own volition, not for his own cause or purpose, but he was the voice to lead by preaching. Amos stood before the people and exposed them. They had intentionally lost the holy life. And they had shuttered the voice of the preacher. It was a deficit in his time, and very well may be in ours. The deficit today is looming, and there's a reason why. Because people cannot be saved without a preacher. And a preacher doesn't have to have gray hair and look like me. The preacher is sitting next to you. 
Here's Romans 10. How then shall they call on whom in him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? The preacher prophet was vital. Because when their kings failed, and they often did. And when their governors grew corrupt, and they always did. And their armies wilted in fear. And their civic leaders were tainted and distorted. The prophet became the last line of defense against the enemy, the preacher. Watch now. Israel is standing on the brink of defeat. Assyria is marching. Defeat awaits them. The oppressor is already tightening his grip. The enemy is on the march while those northern Israelites are arguing over their commitment to the only one who can save them. The irony of it. The only one that can save them, they're arguing with him. Not knowing there's a judgment coming their way. And the question is, what happened? What led to this moment? God said it. You deluded your children. You stripped your youth of separation and holiness. You gave them wine to drink and it compromised their consecration. You took what was supposed to be holy and you gave them what was unholy. You pushed them into worldliness and they became carnal. You taught them how to be sinful. Philosophies. You gave them philosophies instead of the scripture. You gave them human reasoning and logic instead of godly authority. You gave them compromise instead of disciplines. You gave them allowances instead of limitations. And now they have no power because there are no banks. Paul went further, a step further, when he told the church at Corinth, evil communications corrupt good manners. I'll tell you why people don't have good manners. Because they have evil communications. And the two cannot be combined. Paul said, think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. For to your shame I say that some of you do not know God at all. Oof. You read Paul, but you certainly would not want him as a pastor. You would give him no permission. As long as he's hidden behind the black and white words in your Bible, you're okay with him. Just so everyone knows, there's more in the Bible than Psalm 23. Paul wasn't writing to the heathen. He's writing to the church. Amos is not addressing Philistia, Tyre, Edom. Amos is speaking to the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had heritage. But Israel is so corrupt. They desired to live without boundaries that they could ill afford, hear this, to allow their children and grandchildren to live consecrated. They didn't want to live consecrated, so they stripped their children of conviction and because they could not allow their children to put them to shame. So they watered down family commitment because they could not allow their kids to set the example in the home so they diluted their consecration. They said to their children, this is in your Bible, you don't want to be a preacher. There's no future in that. You need to get a good job and a career. You don't have to live a separate life. You should have fun. You're only young once. Here, wear this. I'll buy it for you. Here, watch that. I'll show it to you. I'll do it with you. You see, the carnal man and the carnal woman looks foolish juxtaposed to a godly young person who's dedicated to God. 
Can I preach here today? I'm here by permission. You can vote on me next Sunday by not coming. I hope you don't. I think there's a guest here that voted on me today. She's been watching for a year. I'm not exactly sure where you are, sister, but she decided just to come here just to be in service live. And wherever you are, thank you for coming. If it's okay, just raise your hand so I know where you are because I got the word. Who, who, who is driven here just to be here by... Who told me this? Lisa, where are you? Oh, in, oh, come on, in the East Wing. Love you, bless you, thank you. We got to get you a flower. Cindy, you got any extra flowers you can give? Pull out three of them. That's a lot. of the church I'm not talking about 10 years from now I'm talking about next year I'm talking about 2 years from now I'm talking about 3 years from now it rests not with me it rests with my children and I've been telling my kids I hope you get a good job I want you to have a nice career I, I like, I'd like you to get a good education but talk to me about your burden in the ministry Tell me about what the Lord's talking to you about. Tell me about your scripture. Tell me about what you're reading. Tell me about where you're going. Tell me about what you want to do for the kingdom's sake. Tell me about your Bible reading. I try to catch him off guard. I was in the car with Nico the other day and I said, Nico, have you been reading your Bible? Yes. That's good. I'm not leaving there. Well, then what were you reading? What are you reading? He said, Job, the book of Job. I thought, man, ain't no way you're reading the book of Job. I thought in my mind, I don't know, he is, he, he's just trying to get out of this car, get to where we're ever going. I said, okay, tell me, tell me about the book of Job. Man, that guy laid out the book of Job from the front to the back. The sons of God came at a point in time, and they were looking at God, and the devil came up and said said here I am and God said that God said to the devil have you considered my servant Job this is coming out of Nico's mouth and 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 the devil said if you take the hedge down he'll he'll curse you and die he couldn't kill him but he'll curse you and die and then a servant came and ran and said the whirlwind came and by the time Nico was done I was writing notes saying man that's good where's that happening look at these look at these children young people Young adults, I'll be transparent and clear. Even with all those hormones and youthful desires flying around like fireworks at the 4th of July. Yet, they subdue their natural desires because they want to be pure and holy and set apart. And it, ex- and it exposes the parents and the grandparents to witness a young person or a child dedicated to the cause of Christ, it is a victory that the devil cannot stand. But to see it is also a reproach to others who love money and are knee-deep in lustful things and material pursuits. It makes the carnal person look bad 
because that guy is running to belittle their efforts. He offers them drink in order to minimize their ministry ambitions. He offers them ideas and rationale and thoughts. That carnal, worldly woman, she doesn't want it either. To have dedicated children, devoted young people around her causes her to question herself. It exposes her. That carnal woman looks bad around those shame-faced girls that have separated themselves from the cause of Christ who have refused to adorn themselves, as Peter wrote, with a ray of many things, but have adorned themselves with a meek and quiet spirit, which, I quote, is in the sight of God of great price. I'm only here by permission, but it is in the Bible. It makes that carnal and lustful woman look bad. She's running to offer wine, things that corrupt those young ladies because she knows that their mere presence is exposing her carnal flesh. She does her best to offer seductive styles and clothing and she fills that Nazarite girl with gossip and drama and trivial things. A carnal woman will never compliment a young girl's disposition, her praise or her worship or her prayer. She'll just talk about her appearance. You look so pretty in that. You look so beautiful in that. That brings out your eyes. That's your best figure. That looks wonderful. She's never going to say, I love the way you worship. I was moved when you cry. Here's some drink. Here's some drink of sensual. Here's some drink of appearance. Here's a drink of selfie. Here's a drink of image. I'll tell you when the church is going to be the church is when we're walking around saying, I love your spirit. I love how you forgive. I love how you worship. I'm attracted to the Holy Ghost inside of you. Didn't he bring you out? Didn't he set you up? Didn't he bless your life? Come on, do not corrupt the Nazarite. Do not stop the prophet. I feel like preaching to this house. We have a holy God. He's calling us today. There's got to be someone here. Yay. Standing up for something right. Don't you dare remove the boundaries. Don't you dare mess up the limitations. You've got no power without the bank. Look, we know enough, right? Haven't we all been through some junk? Some of you can say, yeah, I didn't live right. You don't want your kids to live like that, right? Thank God he brought you out and he covered you with his blood. But come on, we've got to have a different view. He didn't bring you out so you could bring your children back in. He brought you out because he loved you and he wanted to restore you and set you on a brand new path. And Amos is looking full square at the people of God and he points out those two glaring acts of debauchery and he says, you gave your young Nazarites wine to drink, you told your prophets not to preach. Now why would they shut down their preaching prophets? Why would they take down the only voice that left them and helped them and, and comforted them? Because you see, preaching brings about conviction and conviction brings about change and the preached word does surgery on us. It challenges our thinking and evades our paradigms and not everybody wants that kind of preaching. And that's what happened to John the Baptist reading your Bible when he exposed Herod's murderous plot Herod killed his own brother so he could marry his brother's wife Herodias and John the Baptist exposed him and denounced that sin but the message 
did not sit well with Herodias and it provoked her. And because she was complicit, she had John's head on a silver platter. Herod cut off John's head to keep him from preaching conviction. Cut down that prophetic word and you won't have to change anything. They told their prophets, don't prophesy. Now what is a preacher supposed to do if he can't preach? Don't preach. We won't come. Israel rejected it because it exposed their hearts. They demanded their repentance. We know this is true. The preached word can lift us up. Man, there's nothing like the preached word. We walk in here low and beat up and the world is evil and the devil is on us and we got trouble. But the word can reach down and pick us up. It can give us something we cannot give ourselves. It's an infusion into the bones and marrow of our body. But it also can bring us down. It can, it can humble us. This preached word can reach down to the depth of our sorrow. It can be the bomb of comfort and peace. But it also can challenge our flesh and cut our carnal nature. And Israel in the north could not take the chance of having their children, their young people, become dedicated and powerful. So they told them, don't preach. Drink this. Don't preach. One of the largest churches in the country a few years ago turned to universalism because that church is now run by polling numbers. They operate off of a focus group to see what people in the congregation will receive and what they don't want to receive. Prophesy not. It's happening everywhere. And the reason is simple. We serve a holy God. He said, sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy. For I, the Lord, I am the Lord your God. And ye shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord which sanctifies. It's what Peter wrote. But as ye which have been called is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it's written, be ye holy for I am holy. Where did holy go? Set apart. Those scriptures, are they offensive to the church? Are they negotiable to believers? Can we redefine them in our will or adjust them based on our social norms or personal preferences? Mm -hmm. We're only here by invitation. Spiritual leadership only exists by permission of the people. You either allow it or you don't allow it. Like the wicked king Ahab said when Jehoshaphat was asking for spiritual direction, they're about to enter a war. Jehoshaphat said, is there not a real prophet of God somewhere here? And Ahab said, yeah, well, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, is here. He's a real prophet of God. We could inquire of him to see what we should do. Here's what Ahab said, and I quote, but I hate him. <laughs> yeah, he's the real thing, but I hate him. Why do you hate him, Ahab? Here's, here's the Bible, 1 Kings 22, 8, because he doesn't prophesy anything good for me. In fact, every time he opens up his mouth, it's also evil about me. I wish that prophet would get his act together. No, the adjustment was not on the end of the prophet. The adjustment was on the life of Ahab. You'll love the preacher when you adjust your word to the, your life to the word. You'll hate the preacher. <laughs> I'm here by permission. Can I preach today? Now, people like prophets when they speak of prosperity, like Miss Cleo. Did she die? They like prophets when they speak of healing and increase, but they reject them when they speak of retraction, of suffering and decrease, even though all of it can come from God. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. You're in the hands of God. Your family's in the hands of God. Your loved one's in the hands of God. 
You might weep because you lost a loved one, but if they're resting in the arms of Abraham's bosom and in the Lord, they won. You haven't yet. So when you get done crying about their loss, you ought to be rejoicing. They made it. They're going to get a crown. They're going to get a robe. This life is a whisper and it's temporary. It all comes from God. And Amos rose up with a message that transcended his own time. God said to that band of backslidden survivors of Egypt, I brought you out and I gave the promise. But you loved your idols and you embraced your riches and you coveted your possessions. And in order to hide yourself, you gave wine to those who were dedicated and you corrupted those who had been separated and you closed the mouth of the young preachers. They rejected separation and they closed conviction. And I'm standing here to preach to myself and to every person in this hour. We, ladies and gentlemen, look at this. We are the collective parents of every new believer who has been called into this house. We are the collective moms and dads of every child, every adult, every journey kid, every youth, every young adult, regardless of whether or not they are our natural offspring. They are the offspring of the body of Jesus Christ in this church. And we are the mother. And while, and while I'm not resting my entire sermon on some anecdotal presentation, there is a burning memory in my mind of the moment when a young girl was praying to the Holy Ghost, deep in the spirit, speaking with tongues and crying. But upon the conclusion of that most powerful life-changing moment, her mother brushed it off and she said to a bunch of us standing by, I'm glad she had a good moment, but I'm more worried about her passing her math exam tomorrow. If you so wish to exempt yourself from a deep commitment, just know that you will in turn dilute the resolve of their walk with God. They might be mathematicians, but they also might be lost. Where is your sacrifice, ladies and gentlemen? Where is your separated holy life that you participate in? A pastor asked me for advice very recently. He said, I have several families in my church. They will will rearrange their lives. And their weekends to drive two and three hours to ball games. But they won't bring their kids to youth functions and youth service that's just ten minutes away from the church. He said to me, Pastor Harpo, I'm a little discouraged because it doesn't seem like they want their kids to be spiritual. And I said, that's because if their kids get on fire for God, it will make their home uncomfortable because they have failing commitments. Here's a little something to drink, and please do not witness and prophesy. Stop preaching. You can't, we can't afford that. Tell me that young man or that 10-year-old girl is not your child, and I'll still tell you that you are still responsible because you are part of the body of Jesus Christ in this house. You don't live on an island. Let me tell you the reason why you're 60 years old and you don't have any money in your bank account. It's because you never saved anything. And now you want someone else to take care of that deficit. Let me tell you why you're that age and your, and your children are backslidden. They don't care anything about God. Because you weren't at this altar praying and crying. And you said that's just for other people. But until you get up here and you get in that prayer room, your children don't have a chance. And don't tell me that they're not your children. My children are your children. So I need everybody in this house to make a commitment. We're not going to give them strong drink and we're not going to close their mouth. But we're going to say, you're a godly person. This is a holy church. He's a holy God. We're going to serve God with all of our hearts. Stand with me now. 
And when we promote a missions trip for the young people, do not tell me that you don't have enough money. Turn your cable off. You got money to send them on a missions trip for seven days or five days. You got money. You'll bring them to anything else. I'm looking at the future. And the future is 12 months from now. I'm looking at a Holy Ghost revival. I think we've got enough word and enough teachers and enough exhorters in this house. Surely there ought to be a house full of missionaries and preachers and Bible study teachers. Amen. All right. Now we need an altar call. I don't even have that down, man. That's a good one. I need that. I got I to gotta get right with God. I need commitment. I need dedication. I need consecration. I need to boast. Reagan, I want to boast of your walk with God. When I talk to people I don't want to talk to them about your athletic skill it's good but it will fade just look at your Uncle Scott (laughs) that was low Uncle Scott I'm so sorry forgive me see I didn't have permission to do that he's he's athletic sometimes I want to I want to boast of your your worship. I, I want to boast of your Bible study that you've got going on. I want to boast of your prayer life. I want to say, man, that guy is a teacher. He is a preacher. That young lady is powerful in the word. I want you to change your compliments to something that's internal and spiritual instead of external. And what a facade. Because we all know how to put on our church going to meeting clothes. That don't mean anything about integrity. They got nothing to do with our heart. That just means you know where you are going. If you're working at McDonald's, you know the uniform. That don't even mean you like the food. And I commend you for not. (laughs) So don't think... That the, that the issue was settled when you were baptized with the Spirit. That was just the promise. He gave it to you. But there's more to do than that. You got out, but now you got to get in. And I'm calling for everybody. And I don't even know if we have room enough in this altar. But you ought to, if you're in the very back, you ought to say, I got to get here and I got to make a commitment, a fresh commitment. And young man, God called you for the ministry. He called you. He's commissioned you. Young lady, he's called you for the missionary, for the, for, the, for the mission, for the work. Don't forsake that. Mom and dad, don't forsake that. You ought to be praising God and thanking God. And if they're not your children, please set the example for everyone else's children. Come on, we're lifting our hands and our hearts right now. To, in the name of Jesus, we're praying it. Right now in Jesus' name, I pray. Oh, Lord, search us, Lord. Search our hearts, Lord. And know us, Lord God. Yes, yes.